This NBA season, make every three-pointer, alley-oop, and buzzer beater even more exciting with FanDuel. You can bet on everything from first baskets and number of dunks to which player will drain the most threes. Or stack your bets with the same-game parlay for a shot to win even bigger. It's quick, easy, and you'll get your winnings fast. So download the app today and see why we're North America's number one sportsbook. Make every moment more with FanDuel. 19 plus and physically located in Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-866-531-2600 or visit connectsontario.ca. The available AKG 36 speaker sound system in the Cadillac Escalade provides 360 degree sound. So you hear studio sound on the road. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade never stop arriving. The available AKG 36 speaker sound system in the Cadillac Escalade provides 360 degree sound. So you hear studio sound on the road. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade never stop arriving. Hello and welcome to the Raptors Weekly Podcast for the week of May 21st. I'm your host, William Liu. I'm joined in these dire times on the third attempt um, by the big dog himself, Blake Murphy. Blake. Three takes to introduce me, man. This is uh, not off to a great start here. That one beer you had. I'm rusty. Really, really hitting you. You don't have bright red cheeks yet, but you're probably one beer away. Yeah, I, I still do have Asian flush syndrome, but I'm just like twice the size of any regular size Asian. So. And that's just your head. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, The, the rest of it is, is, is also proportionate. But I mean, um, yeah, Blake, we are here to... What are we here to talk about? I mean, you Not much. There's nothing new to talk about. Blake, what do you mean? What do you mean? What do you, there's a whole fresh coaching search out there. Did you guys not cover the coaching search last week? You did. You totally did. I know, but we didn't have inside information now. Blake, I don't have inside information. That's a lie. That's a lie. All right? You're the one who broke that this week the Raptors met with Jerry Stackhouse. They did. Uh, as one of three internal candidates, um, along with our buddy Rex. Can we say our buddy Rex? He's a friendly guy. Sure. Yeah. Rex Kalamian. T-Rex Kalamian. And uh, Nick, Nick Nurse. Nurse. Um, we should say... At least three internal candidates. We know those three. I'm, I'm oh, not. Man. Look, I'm not hey. ruling out that Jamal McGlure got an interview. That, I'm, I'm here for Coach Jama, baby. Yeah, look the <laughs> the difficulty in transcribing every pre and post game scrum would be through the roof. But Jama is like the best person. Um, his energy would be uh-huh. crazy. It's. I was actually. I remember thinking when Jesse Mermis left for the Lakers that Jama would be a great fit for the 905 because he's just like. So much positivity and energy all the time. He is Jesse? Yeah. Yeah. A little different style, but yeah. Okay. Shout out to Jesse Mermis, by the way. Shout out to him. Yeah. What's he doing right now? Retooling that. He's Luke Walton's lead offensive guy. That's not uh, bad. This past year, yeah, I mean, the Lakers were the Lakers, but they wanted to play at this breakneck pace and shoot a lot more threes, and Jesse had a big hand in that. There's only so much you can do with uh, an overhyped Marcus Smart as your point guard. Wow. No, I like Lonzo, but yeah, he's he's Marcus Smart as like without the the tenacious defense. Um, so he's not Marcus Smart at all. No, he's just not a good point guard yet. Okay, you're basically just saying point guard who can't shoot is yeah. what you're trying to get. Yeah, at. yeah, okay, yeah, like a yeah, like a less grumpy Rondo. Um, anyway, <laughs> less grumpy Rondo. I like that we're throwing out comparisons and then taking the one thing that defines those people and take it away from. We're taking away Marcus Smart's <laughs> defense. We're taking about Rajon Rondo's grumpiness. 
Um, yeah, now I mean, you're going to say he's like Chris Paul, but without choking in the playoffs. You can't take away the one defining characteristic of everyone. I mean, look, this is this is what basketball Twitter has taught yeah. me. It's just slandering people yeah. outright. I kid, by the way. Chris Paul's terrific. Yeah, Even he's, in the playoffs. He's not. He's not. Look he's, at the playoff career numbers. He's now. a terrific player, but just uh, just a total asshole overall. Look, I just, I, just, yeah, I just don't want anyone coming at me like, well, Paul did, Paul's actually good in the playoffs. Because he is. Yeah, yeah. Well, just yeah, like Kyle Lowry's actually good in the playoffs, mostly. Only this year. Wow, well, that's not true. The Raptors have historically performed better with Lowry on the floor consistently. This year, he was actually his numbers were respectable. Yes. But let's talk about that coaching search. Sure. Um, Do you want to hear all the things I and we don't know? Yes, please go that's ahead. Basically, I think we should establish that because I think there's a lot of the organization is very tight-lipped generally, yeah. uh, and also they've been in Chicago, and it's yeah. a little bit tough to sort of speak directly if there are you know any. Sources, quote-unquote, but... Um, Sources. What do people know and what do people not know? Okay, here's what we know. We know that immediately after Dwayne Casey was fired, Mike Budenholzer was tabbed for the as one of their favorites. We also know that that came from Woj. We also know that Woj had Budenholzer linked to every single coaching opening that came up and was the favorite. And the level of detail and the expediency with which... Woj was putting out Budenholzer reports suggested to me that they were coming from like when they were on the ninth green together. Mm. Um, I definitely look Budenholzer was in Toronto on Monday and he met with the team. I did think that a lot of the immediate uh, Raptors want Budenholzer was leverage play for the Bucks interviews because he was much further along with the Bucks. Uh, The Bucks at that point apparently only had one other candidate at that level of the process in a Tori Messina from from the Spurs. Um, so the Raptors were interested. They did meet with him. He was here Monday. Um, what level those discussions got to is unclear. Woj reported that the Raptors never got as far as making an offer, which would make sense since they were like one minute into their coaching search mm-hmm. uh, and hadn't interviewed any of their internal candidates yet. And then we know Nick's Nurse and Rex Kalamian interviewed Tuesday. Jerry Stackhouse interviewed Wednesday. Which you broke. Sure. Congrats. Um, yeah. And the dates were like, I don't know, the dates were inconsistently reported so i mean not that it really matters they all interviewed this week right okay we also know that the raptors are in chicago uh they would be probably coming back tonight actually for the draft combine most of the league is there so it's very likely that even though nothing has come out that the raptors have been conducting a wide net first sweep of potential candidates um at the combine or in, not at the combine, but in Chicago while everyone's there. So mm-hmm. very possible that they met with five or six or even more people than that, uh, and it was kept under the radar because the Raptors don't really link anything, and then if it leak anything rather. And then if you're, I'm always torn on the coaching side of things in terms of like leaking. Obviously, comes from agents most of the time, and you don't want to upset a team if you're going through the job process, right? right. If you're an agent of a coach. Do you want it out there that they were being considered for a job in the event that they don't get it mm-hmm. so that their name is associated with coaching searches? Or do you not want that information out there so it doesn't look like they lost a job, but it doesn't look like they're being considered either? Right. Um, it's an interesting thing where, like, a couple of people have asked me about Nick Nurse. Well, how come he hasn't been rumored to be interviewing for other jobs before? Um, in this case, I believe he talked to Phoenix and Charlotte briefly this year. The Raptors were still in the playoffs, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, so I don't know what I would do in, in an agent's position. Anyway, it's very likely that Woj or Stein or someone on Sunday or Monday will have a report from the Combine, and within the notes, they'll say that the Raptors met with X number of people or person Y and person Z. 
Um, we don't really know, though. Budenholzer's the only external name that's been mentioned. Which is a bit strange, I think. It is a little bit strange, but the Raptors aren't especially leaky, and mm-hmm. I don't know if agents would want to put stuff out there at this, this early in their process. Okay. Um, so I don't know. I, I would be very surprised if Masai Ujiri only considered internal candidates and Mike Budenholzer. Right, and he did say at the press conference, I'll consider 50 people, which obviously is uh, yeah. an overestimation. But, I mean, the, the point of it was that he was um, going to have an expansive search. Yeah. And, and I believe Michael Grange of Sportsnet mentioned in an in a article the other day that um, that number wasn't even as high as 10, realistically. Mm-hmm. Um, but we don't know specifics of that. I would be very surprised... The hard part about this, other than all the in- misinformation that you normally have to swim through, is that Masai Jiri has never made a head coaching hire before. So Which we don't know strange. what he's looking for. We don't know what his timeline might look like. We don't know if he's a one-interview guy, if he's a five-interview guy. Mm-hmm. We don't know. We don't even necessarily know what he's looking for, although you would imagine he would want someone with strengths where Dwayne Casey had weaknesses in right. terms of in-game management and playoff adjustments and things like that. Um, and then Masai Jiri is also very in favor of a collaborative work environment. So he's going to have to – he's going to want to make sure that they get along. Okay. Um, so that to me suggests maybe it's a multi-interview right. phase for him. But we really don't know. He's never done this before. Right. I think all we can really conclude right now is that there was no specific person that was right. going to succeed immediately, right, right. after they dismissed Casey. And we talked to us about Dwayne Casey and, you know, like thanked him for his time and things like that. Um I think we can talk about the internal candidates, and I'm sure nobody else knows Jerry Staggles in particular, but um, nobody else knows Stack and Rex and uh, Nick Nurse as much as you do. Um, but before we get there, I mean, like, I think in order to hire a coach, right, we're not just hiring a coach f- for the next two years of, like, the rest of this window of the, you know, three-year window or anything like that. I think the Raptors are trying to hire a coach sort of beyond that as well. To bridge to the next era, yeah. Exactly, right? And so I think that comes with a different set of um, skill set that, that you're looking for, right? You're looking for someone who can, you know, manage the current veteran talent right now, earn the respect of the veteran talent right now, while also being able to develop and bridge the gap and be a long-term guy who also works well at the front office. Which is tough because not many coaches get the chance to show both of those things during their coaching tenure, exactly. let alone at once. So you just have to show belief in somebody, right? And that's right. the hard part about coaching is yeah. it's it's such an intangible thing yeah. that it's, you know, like, okay, we know about certain coaches based on what they did at that situation, but that situation was specific to that specific situation, yeah. you're not going to replicate that. Yeah, and that's what's always hard. And I had a mailbag on Wednesday where I got asked a lot of coaching questions, and I felt, I didn't feel bad about it, but a lot of my answers were just like, look, we don't know a lot of stuff. We don't. We know Budenholzer went 0-8 against LeBron, yeah. but we know that one of those Atlanta teams was banged up and one wasn't very good. Mm-hmm. We know that he got 60 wins out of a roster that didn't look like 60 wins, but we don't, like, none of that is transferable. We know that he likes a five-out offense with playmaking bigs. And yeah, that's something we definitely don't have here. Right, but you don't—you've never seen Budenholzer with a different roster and what that might look like. Mm-hmm. Um, he does get the system coach label, where because the talent wasn't super high in Atlanta, um, you know they ran a system approach at both ends of the floor. But you don't know if he had Kyle Lowry and Demar Derozan, if maybe that would be different. And it's the same with every coach, every experienced coach down the line. You know, you look at Steve Clifford and Charlotte always underperformed relative to their. Um, it, like their Pythagorean win-loss based on point differential and had bad clutch performances. Well, you know, is that Steve Clifford and his X's and O's? Is 
Kemba Walker just like historically unclutch. Which is weird because he's actually known for being clutch. Yeah, he's the clutchest. He, he yeah. literally made his entire career <laughs> off of being clutch. So yeah. um, I don't think it's that. Um, but yeah, you run into that with all the experienced candidates. And then what you run into with the candidates who don't have experience or in the case of an Atora Messina, don't have recent experience or experience that anyone can earnestly tell you they were watching. Like, I don't know how much EuroLeague regular season day-to-day coaching you you pick up on and the same goes for David Blatt Mm -hmm. Um, so there's a ton we don't know and the thing the toughest thing with assistants is all we know about assistants are what players and other coaches say about them and then what gets to the media either through agents or league sources or whatever so you can get an idea of someone's personality and, and you can get a preference for someone and I know there are people who really like the idea of Becky Hammond or really like the idea of Vittorio Messina or Nick Nurse or Jerry Stackhouse Um, but all of these people you know coaching careers in general are built on very small samples and very isolated specific samples and with assistants we don't have anything to go on but reputation and you know figuring out who based on the small glimpses of their personality you get might check off the boxes that you need so um, it's really difficult I've found it to be like, I've never co- covered a coaching change, right? really, at least since Casey was hired. And even then, I was just like blogging once a week at that point. Yeah. Um, and I found it really difficult because I want to have the answers and I want to, like, answer people's questions. But I can't tell you, like, Jaron Collins is a name that I keep coming back to sure. as a guy who would be interesting as a first-time... Warriors assistant, yeah. Yeah, Warriors assistant. He was a scout before that. He was always, like, a well-liked teammate kind of guy. Right. Um, Arnovitz reported that he's, like, a huge basketball nerd and is, like, always trying to find out new things and try new things. Um, you know, it's, that's, by the way, it's weird when people are so like, "Hey, he's a big basketball nerd." It's like, well, I would hope so. All these guys are basketball. <laughs> I nerds. would hope so. Yeah, like some of the, some of these guys have like had to take leaves of absences for health reasons because they can't stop working. They're all basketball nerds. That's, uh, yeah, um, they should hire you, Blake. They should hire you. Yeah, they don't. They should absolutely not hire me. Anyway, so Collins for, is an example of a name that like I like everything I hear about him. I have no idea what his philosophy would of course. be if he were the head coach. Yeah. It's the same with, with Becky or any of the Spurs candidates where they may very well be, and they're they're certainly all worth an interview based on mm-hmm. reputation. But you don't know if Otora Messina would come in and be too big a hard-ass with two All-Stars. You don't right. know if Ime Udoka would come in and be right. you know the other end, and maybe he's too recently a player. and it, like You, sure, you just yeah. don't know how guys are going to operate when a team's theirs instead of a specific like silo of the team is there so it's yeah. been frustrating to realize how much i don't know about like wh- like coaching is so nebulous this is anyway. the nature of coaching yeah, yeah right where like you have to it's about both your abilities as a coach and then your abilities to relay that to a specific team and then the what the talent of that team is there's just so many variables that and it's then hard to boil a bunch down. of randomness in there too of course right and and of course circumstances well, and that's why like with it's like this Brad coaching Stevens search, has only had success because of randomness. It's just like he keeps getting lucky. After oh yeah, lucky of course. Lucky. Come on, yeah. you got to be very lucky to be able to coach Evan Turner in your life, and yeah. he, he's had that chance. The villain. Um, I mean, but that's a, this is where you have to place trust in the organization that you have to trust that through the conversations of Masai and the rest of that front office with whichever candidates they talk to that like they're able to discern which people they can work with and mm-hmm. which people they feel like they can grow with. Because, like, from, from the outset, we don't really know anything. We're, we don't get the chance to talk to these guys no. until they really get hired or whatever like that. So, um, at least with the internal candidates, we have that, we've had that opportunity, especially you've had that opportunity. A little bit, yeah. Um, more so a stack. More so a stack. But Less, I mean, the, the Raptors had a weird thing where, like, you couldn't really talk to assistants this year. So, I've okay. talked to Rex and Nick Nurse in the past, right? but not as much this year. 
Okay, but I mean, like we've at least seen what they do. We yeah. we've understand like what their roles, what their organization have been. So we can start with the guy that's sort of rumored to be the leading candidate. Um, again, nothing definitive, but Woj said that they're going to take a very close look at um, Nick Nurse, and Woj is at the like the scouting combine right now, or I guess in the, the two days it was there, and Masai was there, and he had him on the show and stuff like that. So, and we know Woj is pretty close with Masai at this point, yeah. but um, with Nick Nurse. We know that he's an offensive uh, guru, and he's the guy that got a lot of credit for revolutionizing the offense this season. Um, but w- what do we know about his like development? What do we know about his relationships with people? And what do we even know about his temperament, right? Because we don't really know that part. Yeah, so he's he's been a coach for a long time. Um, he coached over in Britain for a while. He's had multiple runs in the G League with different franchises. He's won um, G League championships as the head coach of two different organizations, G League affiliates, which I think it, one was Rio Grande Valley for sure. I want to say the other one was Reno, but I forget. Sure. Um, it, whatever it was. I'll look it up. Look he's it. won them with two different franchises, um, which I think you know says a lot because it's really hard to win in the G League. Um, and then obviously in Rio Grande Valley, they're the Rockets affiliate, so you can kind of put together how their offense may have looked even back in the day. Um, do you have it? Who is the other one? Uh, I'm still looking at it. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So, he's had, he's had coaching overseas as a head coach. He's had G League as a head coach. And then he's been with the Raptors for five years. And I believe that's his only NBA assistant experience. Um, so, he was brought in. He has been rumored to – he's been tied to other jobs loosely before. And he always pops up high on these Arnovitz and Mannix lists of – Who's the next, you know, who do league executives think might be the next head coach? And it's because he's very intelligent. If you talk to him, especially about the offensive end, um, he has a creative way of thinking. He likes to try new things. He was kind of ahead of the curve the team wanted to go. Like, like when he came in, um, his playbook is immense. And, like, the ideas that he had for changing the Raptors' offense mm-hmm. were a big part of why he was hired. Right. Um, now, I know, and this is going to come up with Rex and maybe with Stack, too, uh, I know some people are like, well, if he was already on the coaching staff, why didn't he just like make those changes? It's like, well, you've worked the job before. You know what happens when you have a boss. You might really suggest something and think you're right. Uh-huh. But like the head coach, no matter how collaborative the coaching staff's approach is, Dwayne Casey had the final say because Dwayne Casey was the guy whose job was on the line at the end of the day. So um, Nurse, you know, he was responsible for a lot of the offensive change. Um, the playbook, he... Houses, the playbook he has um, is a little more elaborate than the Raptors have leaned on. Mm-hmm. Um, I know a couple of the guys on the team think the world of him in terms of like his offensive creativity and his general level of basketball intelligence. So he's well-respected? Yeah, at least from the guys that I've talked to. Okay, that's um, good. So, yeah, so I don't know. You know, I don't really know what he would be like on the defensive side because he has primarily been an offensive lead um, and but then from a player development... Been a head, he's been a head coach before, just not in the right, NBA Right, but sense, yeah, so. in, the, in Britain and the G League, and it was more than five years ago. So I can't, you know... Yeah, that's true. Yeah, but you, can, you would think, you know, two G League titles, that would certainly speak to maybe he has some development chops as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Raptors staff as a whole has done pretty well uh, developing guys the last little bit. So I don't know. I, I certainly understand why he's getting a long look. And I probably, you know, I, I've thought for a while that he... That the Raptors were, you know, at risk of losing him. Right. If not. He was rumored to, like, when Steve Kerr got hired with the Warriors, even back then, like, yeah. one year into the job, he was already considered for the Warriors thing. Yeah. And I think the Warriors ultimately went with, like, a couple more experienced guys in 
um, they Gentry and, and Luke Walden and stuff. But like all yeah. those guys eventually became head coaches, right? Yeah. So it was he was yeah. in tough competition. Which, by the way, the Steve Kerr model. If someone, if the Raptors hire a, a first timer, the Steve Kerr model of I realize I'm a first time head coach and. I can't worry about job security or politics or anything like that. I just have to surround myself with all the smartest people that I can find. It's such a good approach, and I know that it's tough to do that. But of course. Like, I would hope anyone, especially if someone comes in from outside the organization, you know, your first thing is not to look over your shoulder at who might want your job. It's how can I do the best job possible? And for Kerr, that was Gentry, and I think Darren Ehrman was there for a bit too. Oh, that's and, right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so. You know, I think if it's a first-time coach, that's that's the right attitude to take toward it. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, look, Nurse has a lot of like positives in his uh, in his cap for sure. Um, what about Rex? What has what has Rex been doing with the? Or- oh, also, like, can we clarify that um, uh, Nurse he want he he had the best like record in the league with Iowa a couple years. Ago. I don't Iowa, know if they had. I don't know if they had like the playoffs back then. So I think that like the. The yeah. title is just you have the best record, but yeah, yeah he definitely had the best record there, and yeah, also with the that real makes Grand sense Vipers. He's from Iowa, so he, yeah, he's coached in Iowa a couple times now. But um, but also um, we can clarify that like when he was hired, right in twenty thirteen fourteen, um, was he hired by Casey or was he hired by the organization? If I remember right, that was when Masai came in. Uh huh. And he wanted to make some changes, but and we all kind of expected maybe Casey's job would be lost. Right. I think those were, if not Ujiri hires, Ujiri suggested hires. Like, okay, he came in and like, and Andy Greer came in at right. the same time. That's right. That's right. No, that, um, Greer was the next year. Okay, maybe yeah, it's yeah. the next year. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, they were like, okay, well, we gotta, you know, um, Tom Sterner can't be the only hey, assistant man. anyone ever sees. You <laughs> need to bring him back. Just for yo, the, why just isn't Tom Sterner on these, man? Just for, the for good reason. Interviews. For good reason, actually. Yeah. So um, Rex Kalamian, I know a little bit less about his own individual philosophy. He was in OKC under Scott Brooks, I'm pretty sure. Right. And he was the lead offensive assistant there. He's been the lead defensive assistant here since Andy Greer left. Um, the one thing I do know about him is that star players have always liked him. Like you see, if Harden comes through or KD right. comes through. Um, Abaka and DeRozan, like those are all Rex's guys. So I feel like he does at least do a good job of um, building relationships with players, mm-hmm. which is obviously important. Right. Um, in terms of his own individual philosophies, I'm not sure. You know, I'm not sure what a Rex Kalamian offense looks like. I'm not sure what a Rex Kalamian defense looks like. I don't think he's ever been a head coach at any level. True. Um, he's been an NBA assistant for what twenty plus years now. Yeah. Um, From the Clippers and Denver and Minnesota, the Kings. Yeah. Yeah, and OKC. Yeah, and then Toronto, yeah. So um, I don't know what his vision for everything would look like, but I know he has generally got along well with high-end players. He seems to have the type of temperament you'd want. Like, he's a fairly calm guy and, like, has a – I don't know. He he seems like he has the kind of temperament, but I know much less about – you know, I know what nurse – would want to do with an offense i don't really know what Kalamian would want to do on and i and i don't know like with the defense the raptors run i don't know if that's Kalamian's idea mm-hmm. of a great defense or if that's personnel based because they had jv and you want to build around that or i don't know if that's you know a greer holdover or what so mm-hmm. yeah i mean also like it's it's also tougher with the defensive side because i always felt like casey had more of a say on the defensive end i mean he he had a final say on both ends really because as a head coach but um, especially in terms of defensively, like that was yeah. Casey's, um, you know, that was his in. 
right? He was mm-hmm. a defensive special specialist with, uh, with with Dallas, and so it's hard to say what Rex would have done. But I mean, look, and, well, and it's the same with offense, where like, right? I, I I've seen some comments of like, well, the Raptors ran unoriginal out of timeout plays, so like, how can you trust Nick Nurse's offense? And again, it's that Dwayne Casey's gonna have the final say. Yeah. He's and we're not trying to blame whiteboard. everything on Dwayne Casey. No, no, no. Of yeah. course. I'm just saying that, that, like, people... I've seen a not insignificant number of people mm-hmm. assume that Dwayne Casey was the sum of the assistant coaching parts. Right. And that's not accurate. Like, you don't know... You know, it's... You've had jobs before. You yeah. know that the boss has the final say. Yeah, exactly. So... Um, yeah. And, good and, and bad. And this is the, this, the problem with assistants is that, like, it's very easy to assume that... Um, the assistant is a property of the incumbent, right? Right. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that whatever weaknesses Casey had, then they must have been shared by Nurse and Kalamian. But I, it's hard to say. With, with Rex, and based, just based on the fact that he has um, always been a guy that sort of managed relationships with star players, you would assume that he would sort of run an offense that caters to stars, which usually means, like, giving them more flexibility and freedom. But, I mean, at the same time, like it, – it, it's hard to extrapolate what he would do in a bigger role because it's easy to manage relationships as an assistant. It's a, it's different when you're the head coach and you actually have to say like, "Hey, DeRozan, you can't be taking these shots right now. Yeah. We're going to take you off the floor." That's a different that's a different role and a different approach. The one guy, of course, that you have the most information on and the that you know best is Jerry Stackhouse. And there's a lot of there's two. I feel like there's two schools of thought with Stackhouse. There's one school of thought is like. Um, you know what? He's done all these great things, and he's this great coach, um, you know, in the making. And he's you know led the 905 to the finals in back-to-back years. He won one of those uh, years, and this is his first try at coaching. And this is like a great coaching prospect. And then there's another school of coaching, uh, I, you know, thought with with Stackhouse, which I'm only seeing more and more now. You didn't really see these negative comments about him before, but it's like, well, based on the way he played as a player, you know, he was a guy that got up a lot of shots, and he, you know. He, he once said about DeRozan that, you know, a star player just yeah. has to build shots. So whether you take 20, 30 shots, like, you know, you still got to get those points. And, you know, there's this thought that he is very Casey-like in his sort of approach to the game, which is uh, let the star players, you know, do their thing and then be a solid personality. And I, I don't know how much of that is just unfair and how much of that is, you know, true. But, you know, you're the guy to ask for that. Yeah, so I mean, I what's, think, what's Jerry about? I think assuming anything about a player's playing style bleeding into their um, coaching style is maybe a little unfair until he, you see it. He's also said that he would have hated to coach himself. Yeah. Um, also, he did not, like, I, I know the DeRozan quote, and I know the G League, you don't really have, like, star players at that level. He didn't operate that way with the 905. So, so how did he operate? Okay, so they did do that a little bit with Lorenzo Brown, but he was also, like, the MVP. Yeah, Lorenzo. Okay, look, I'm not kidding when Loren- when I say Lorenzo Brown was like the James Harden of G League. Yeah, like he wasn't hyper efficient, but he was really good defensively, and a lot of the time was their only guy who could get a bucket. So yeah. they did. Yeah, Lorenzo Brown had some high usage, but so Stack's first year. First of all, so Stack Stack when he retired, um, immediately started doing some AAU stuff. Mm-hmm. So he's coach at the AAU level, like right down to doing the laundry his damn self. Um, That's wild. Yeah, it's crazy. Jerry Stackhouse doing doing his team's laundry. Um, but you got to humble yourself when you're trying to make a sure. change like that. Yeah. So he had one year of NBA experience, but it was back row. So the, in the NBA, teams can have three assistant coaches in, in the front row, and those are you know loosely referred to as front row coaches and back row coaches. Um, the back row can be unlimited. Jamal McGlure is technically one of those guys to give you an idea of where the bar is. Mm-hmm. Um, so Stackhouse was like largely a player development coach. 
in his one year as a Raptors assistant. So um, not a ton of decision-making authority or anything like that. Um, basically, he was a first-year coach. Right. So his, first, his two years with the G League team could not really have gone better. Uh, the thing that hangs over all of this is that we've never seen a G League coach go directly to the NBA. Mm-hmm. We've seen Quinn Snyder get there, but he had a stop as a high-level assistant in between. Um, we've seen some other guys build their resume in the MB- in the G League on their way to being high-level assistants. Um, I think it's helpful. I, you know, you ask Jesse Mermis or Nick Nurse about the G League experience, and they say it's basically like being a head coach for five years anywhere else because your roster is constantly changing over, and if you do a good job of developing a guy, you're going to lose him and stuff like that. Right. Uh, so Stackhouse's first year with the 905, they obviously win a championship. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the biggest impact you'd see in terms of player development is Pascal Siakam. Right. Uh, Siakam started 38 games for the Raptors, then went down to the G League. By the end of the year, looked like largely a different player. His confidence was yeah. all the way back. He was a power forward to start and then kind of became this like small forward type, yeah. which we saw this season. Yeah, right. and a lot of that's like it's not just Stackhouse. That's the whole player development staff, and it's a ton of Siakam. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you see the impact there. You know, I'm less eager to give credit for Fred Van Vliet because Fred Van Vliet showed up in the G League and was already, like, the most savvy point guard in the G League. Right. He um, was Lorenzo Brown before Lorenzo Brown. Yeah. Uh, Lorenzo Brown with a jump shot. Oh, come on. Um, look, that's the one thing keeping Lorenzo Brown from, True. from being on the roster. True. Uh, so, yeah. So, um, and, and Bruno took some strides, too. I know people feel different ways about Bruno, but um, Bruno went from Jesse's positivity and... and you know, hug you when you fail. It's a mm-hmm. Stackhouse is a, Stackhouse is a little bit more of a break you down to build you up type. Yeah, um, and that you know that took some time with some guys. That took a little time for him to hit, like for him and Axel Tupon to to really mesh. And then by the end of the year, Axel Tupon was in the NBA. Right, and it took him a little bit of time with Kennedy Meeks, a fellow Carolina guy. And then like nine, ten games in the season, that clicked between the two of them. And Meeks was a different player from there. And like I thought, I thought he had a real chance to win Most Improved Player right. in the G League. Um, so and they had like a ten game win streak. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and they, yeah, they went. I don't know. They started the year four and nine, and then finished thirty one and nineteen. So they were twenty seven ten over the last. It's pretty good. And they went back to the finals. Yeah. Uh, so you see a lot of that. Both years, the nine hundred five finished number one in defensive rating. Uh, this so the first year they had Eddie Tavares and Axel Tupon, which helped a lot. Of course, uh, Tavares won Defensive Player of the Year. Tupon, if the G League went that far, probably would have won been on all defense second team uh, but they also started Brady Hessop as their point guard mm-hmm. and EJ Singler and Will Sheehy were their wings and until Siakam got down there you know the forward position was like CJ Leslie and Jared Utoff who are nice pieces but not you know Utoff can block some shots for a stretch four but he's not a lockdown defender right, right. Uh, Singler and Sheehy not lockdown defenders and um you know, so they had uh, they were starting Brady Hislop at point guard, and they were the number one def- defense right. in the league. Right, that says that. And then this year, you know, Kennedy Meeks was their center, and the knock on him was defense. And they had a lot more talent because they were really long this year. Like Malcolm Miller played the two sometimes, which is crazy. Yeah, he's like six seven. Yeah, and yeah. Bruno played some. Bruno played everywhere from the three to the five when he was right. still there. Um, Alfonso McKinney played multiples, so they had a lot more length and versatility. But this year, they had just way less talent. Mm-hmm. than they had the year before. The year before, they won the championship because they were by far the most talented team in the league. They right. shot lots of threes because they had lots of shooters. They had this sky-high assist rate right. because they had lots of guys who could put the ball on the floor and make the next pass. Mm-hmm. Um, this year, they were far less ta- like talented. Maybe not even talented, just far less experienced. Like A lot of guys in their first right. pro year. 
Um, so the assist rate came down. They were one of the worst three-point shooting teams in the league because they just didn't have that juice. Uh-huh. Uh, so they went on defense, and they were the number one defense again. Um, That's with, good. It shows flexibility. Yeah, it does show flexibility. And, like, you know, it's it's another one of those things where we don't know – we can't know certain things. But, like, stack out the defense that they ran down there – you look at it, and it's like, okay, well, this maybe wouldn't work at the NBA level. But, you, one, you have to give Stackhouse the chance to sh- sh- you know, decide what he would do at the NBA level with right. NBA talent. And, two, it didn't look all that dissimilar from how Boston was guarded Cleveland the first two games. Mm. Like, it's a lot of, like, mm. initial switch and then quickly switch underneath that switch so you, that you can snuff out the, the mismatch. And, like, you risk that skip pass, but you, you eliminate the mismatch in the post. And it's a... You know, he avoided, even though they had all that length, they avoided the urge to switch everything because he thought it was too gimmicky. And, you know, when your switching doesn't work, what happens with the breakdown after that? So um, a lot of positivity on that end. The the offense took a slide in year two because of talent. The defense was number one both years. Um, In terms of, like, out of timeout and X's and O's, stuff like that, there's some similarities to what the Raptors run, like Loop 2, which everyone would recognize as a DeRozan sideline out-of-bounds play, right. was something they ran for Tupon a lot and for Lorenzo Brown a little bit. Um, but Sackhouse also, like, he gave Heslip and Brown some leeway to call their own plays on the fly okay. and make those reads. Um, the, rat, the 905 were, I think they were like 30 and 20 or something like that in clutch situations. Which is pretty good. Um yeah, it, it was. It's slightly worse than their total record. Like I think they had a seventy percent win rate overall and sixty percent in clutch games, and then like one year they were top five clutch net rating, and the next year they were bottom ten. So like it's it's a little noisy. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, it's, some of it's talent. Like, right? You know, if you're rolling the ball in to a team with four shooters on the floor around Eddie Tavares, mm-hmm. it's a little different than. And some of yeah. it is also like you know. If when you're the G League coach, you have to adapt some of the same systems as what the big club is yeah. doing, so that it can be seamless. Where yeah, you can you don't just have call full up autonomy. a guy. Yeah, um, yeah. So and, and then like I think it says a lot too that like even in his first year as a coach, you know they lost Tupon and Tavares during the playoffs mm-hmm. and Will Sheehy and still won the championship. Yeah, and the they Cavs signed rolling. Eddie Tavares just so he can yeah. get dunked on by Bruno. Yeah. Um, so the one thing I will say that I think is absolutely transferable is in talking right. to guys. You know, at the end of each year, I kind of, you know, you want to see what guys think about Stack because obviously, like from my perspective, I know at some point Stack is going to be a story. Of so course, I've got all this stuff saved. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, but so apparently, he's like incredibly detail oriented. Mm-hmm. Where, like, film a lot guy. of the guys, like a lot of the rookies this year, guys who were coming right from college, were just like stunned at how much film the team watched. Right. And then didn't they also like there's a story out there that he they filmed the film session so he can oh, watch he, himself. Coach. Yeah, but that's I mean, like he, a next, he that's films like a everything though. Okay, so like a, he yeah. has a guy at every game filming me asking him questions. Okay, like All right. like not set up, but like in the scrum, like a post game scrum. Okay, he has a camera, so he films everything. This is like something he's done his whole life. Right. He oh, that's like, right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. yeah the, so the, Scott Cacciola from New York Times wrote right, about right. it at the end of last year. And it's, in the Times. Yeah. In the New York Times. Yeah. Um, it's cool. Um, I don't know if it'll ever be anything, but hey, uh, yeah. So apparently he's really detail oriented. Um, like he lays the schedule out ahead of time and it's like down it's very fine like very fine detail Mm -hmm. um, and it all comes from a place of logic so there are obviously questions like you know how does your 50 game system adjust to 82 games with NBA egos and NBA workloads right I think that's a big question yeah and it's one of those things that you can't answer because I think it would be ignorant to 
assume that any coach at the G, any coach good enough to coach at the G League level would not just like show up at the NBA and be like, yo, I'm going to do exactly what I did in the G League. Right. Like, I don't think, but, but it is also, we don't know. Yeah. I mean, okay. So I think the X's and O's and stuff like that, like, I think that stuff is good. Like the, the fact that um, he was adaptable was good with the two rosters. Yeah. Um, the fact that he's such a, you know, uh, a huge film guy is great. Um, one thing I do have a little bit of concern with, and it's not even a concern. It can go one of two ways. You can see it as concern if his personality is sort of clashing against some of the stars. Or you can see it as a positive if he can sort of impart some of his toughness and sort of the, the way he's approached the game as a player and then as a, just as a man, basically, as a person. Um, you know, the toughness and discipline and accountability that, uh, that he's sort of carried himself with. Um, you know, how do you feel like that would fit with the Raptors? And do you feel like that's something what the Raptors need? Because from from my in my opinion, I feel like one of the big differences when you see in the playoffs is that the Raptors have not shown the type of defensive toughness, yeah. the type of character that you've seen out of Indiana and Cleveland and um and the Celtics, um, you know, when they're going up against Cleveland. And I'm not sure if a coach can impart a personality onto his players, but I look at situations like. Um, what Swolstra does in Miami and how every single person that comes in their program becomes that, or even Boston, like players come to Boston, they play tougher defensively. You know, like I would like for a coach to be able to establish that sort of like, this is the type of basketball we play. We, in this house, you know, Twitter style, we yeah. defend, right? And we are tough. And I would very much like Stackhouse to bring that personality over. Yeah, I think he would try at least. And I think, I think whether it's Stackhouse or Nurse or whoever, the word you're going to hear a lot of, I mean, you're not going to hear because he won't be in there, but the word that will come up a lot in the interview process is accountability because, you know, Lowry and DeRozan have not been unaccountable. They're their stars, and they mm-hmm. they wear these reputations as playoff underperformers. Like, that's, you're being accountable in some way, having to get clowned on for five playoffs <laughs> in a row. Yep. But, like, that accountability level, even for a guy like Ibaka, too, is like, that's something that's going to come up. And I think Grange reported when Casey got let go that that was one of the tipping points is that, you know, maybe Lowry and DeRozan weren't held fully accountable. Now, those guys are established players who have grown up with Dwayne Casey. Whether or not they're going to be open to it with the new head coach, whether that or not that might take, you know, a, a period of growing pains as they work that relationship out, I'm not sure. Um, but, yeah, I think, you know, I think the next person who comes in, whether it's Stackhouse or anyone, can't have – you can't have a passive personality and expect to take over an established team with two two guys who are all-stars and have had it one way their whole career. Like, you don't want to come in and be a taskmaster and, like, you know, build them down, break them down to nothing. Mm-hmm. But you need to make it established pretty quickly that, like, okay, they changed the coach because this isn't working. And, right. like, we're all going to be accountable for this change. And I don't know. Again, it's one of those things we don't know how those personalities are going to mix. We don't know. Maybe Nick Nurse or Rex Kalamian are that. Right, maybe. maybe. Maybe Becky Hammond is that. Maybe Jaron Collins is like we don't know. Right. Um, you know, we know some people who have had NBA jobs who aren't that. Yeah. One more person asked me about Mark Jackson. I'm throwing. Dog, we're not hiring Mike Jackson, man. We're not hiring come on. Yeah. Just do some research into what Mark Jackson did yeah. as a head coach. Yeah. Or as a person. Or as a person, yeah. yeah. Um anyway. So we, it's falls under the category we don't know, but I'm with you. I think that that's an important thing that you know, you're gonna have to come in and things need to change. Things are changing for a reason. And right. everyone needs to buy into that quickly, and I, I'm confident that it can happen because the Raptors have built a strong culture, uh, and they overwent, they underwent a ton of change last year mm-hmm. that guys were open to. But you also, 
you know, there are smaller things. Like, Kyle Lowry sacrificed a ton last year he did? to end up in the exact same spot. If someone new comes in and wants Kyle Lowry to change fundamentally again, you know, that might take some relationship management. That's... Of course, that might yeah. take some massaging. If you're taking the ball out of DeMar DeRozan's hands down to a 25% usage rate, mm. that might take some massaging, you know? So I mean, that's um, a, those are questions, though, that, like, the front office has to decide first. Right. So these right? aren't, so, yeah, these aren't things that we can really know. Right. But, you know, you think that that's what the basis of the entire coaching search is going to be based around. It's like, well, yo, what do you think of this and how are you going to do it? Yeah. And are you, you know, do we have faith that you can manage these changes that we want to make? Because... Mm. The same stuff isn't working, and we're not just going to come out and say that we're happy we're getting knocked out in the second round again yeah. for the next two years before we blow it up. Yeah. Well, just based on the quotes alone, count me in as Jerry Stackhive. Um, we're going to take a quick You've been break. You've sitting on that one, eh? I tweeted it earlier, okay. too. And it's, it's not new. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, we're going to take a quick break. We'll come back and take some Twitter questions. I'm Brian Goldfinger of Goldfinger Injury Lawyers. Accidents happen, and when they do, you'll want a lawyer who will stand up to the insurance company and fight for your rights. In case of emergency, have this name in your back pocket. Goldfinger. Brian Goldfinger. Visit goldfingerlaw.com and get us working for you. Welcome back to the second half of the podcast. Blake um, has worked harder than anyone else this week to drop a two-part mailbag, and yet... He is here to answer the same goddamn questions on the podcast in audio form. Blake, you must be excited to do this. Yeah, I mean, 10,000 words over two mailbags wasn't enough, I guess, right? You had to put out the damn call for more questions. Yeah, yeah. I didn't even put your name in it, too. I was hoping that people would not ask the same at question. At least you didn't at me. Yeah, exactly. I tried, but yeah, I, saw, I looked at them. It's, it's the same people asking the same questions that are already in the mailbag. Assad, copy and paste this question that I already answered in the mailbag. Uh yeah, I mean don't ask Assad's question on the air. All right, that's a, that's just a general rule. I, just, really. I want Assad to know too. I'm drinking water right now. It's delicious. Uh okay. How about this one? That from Shankar. Um, is there a bright side for Raptors fans to the way the Celtics are beating the Cavs slash LeBron? No. In the sense that it's doable. You know what I mean? Do you feel better that the Cavaliers are beatable, or do you feel worse that the Cavaliers are beatable and the Raptors weren't able to exploit that? I feel better about my analysis coming in about how the Cavs were legitimately vulnerable and the Raptors should have won that series. Uh-huh. Uh, you obviously can't feel you can't feel anything but worse about the Raptors' performance. I believe we're like 0-1-6 now yeah. in the playoffs. Um, but, you know, the reason, the way the Cavs are getting exploited are the ways we all laid out that like, hey, if the Raptors are going to win, right. here are the ways to exploit them. And they're capable of doing it. Mm-hmm. And then they just got in their own damn heads after one loss. So, Wait, wait hold on. Do you feel like the talent was there to do that, though? Yeah, they could have. Like, look. They don't match up as well. That's what I mean. Because like Boston doesn't have bad defenders on the floor. And Boston doesn't have small players really. But, but uh, Boston just small. has a guy to guard, not just LeBron, but they have a guy to guard Love. Yeah. And the Pacers had a guy to guard Love in Turner. Or not Turner, in um, Thad Young. Thad Young, yeah. So the Raptors don't have that Thad Young, don't have that I mean, Al Horford. It's supposed Horford to be type. Ibaka. Ibaka did nothing. Yeah, <laughs> Ibaka bad, did nothing. He yeah. kind of hustled in game three. But look, I don't. Yeah, Boston is better suited for it. Indiana is better suited for it. Indiana was also because they had they were like the even though they finished did the, Indiana finished fourth or fifth? Fourth. Okay, so even though they were the home. No, team, no, they're, they're the fifth. They fifth. Okay, yeah, yeah. Game seven anyway, was in Cleveland. Yeah, they were like a big spiritual underdog, and like the way they defended the Cavs was risk seeking. They were okay with that. They were okay with completely fronting the post. Yeah, and if that post entry pass. Got lobbed over Bogdanovich. Mm-hmm. LeBron had a clear path to the rim, and like Miles Turner scrambling off of the weak side corner. Right, they accepted that. They were tough. Yeah, they were tough. And, and then, 
The Raptors the Cavs, just weren't tough. The Cavs shot terribly in that series too. So when yeah. Miles Turner scrambles yeah. over off of J.R. Smith, J.R. Smith shoots zero percent in that series, seventy-seven percent against the Raptors, zero percent against the Celtics. Yo, he's legitimately hitting. Oh man, oh, all these shooters. It's it's very frustrating to watch. But I think the one thing it's crazy we he shot like Mike Scott against the Raptors. Oh, God. Oh, God. Um, anyway, so my point is not that the Raptors match up. We're not as 0-7, well. seven. No. <laughs> yeah, the Raptors don't match up as well. The Raptors are also more talented and have a higher offensive upside than either of those teams. Mm. The Raptors absolutely... Like, I'm not moving off the fact that the Raptors should have won that series. They're better than Cleveland. Uh, I think they're a better team than Cleveland, but in the specific matchup against Cleveland, because they had such a poor matchup against Love and such a poor matchup against LeBron... And Corver. Yeah, and Corver, but I feel like Corver was an ancillary point of, like, the effort, the, the, the type of play that Love was showing... And the fact that they can never switch those, which right now they're neutralizing that little off-ball thing where LeBron's on one wing. But they're also not even running it that much. They're not they're running not. that much, but they also know that Boston can switch that a lot yeah. easier, right? You, they're comfortable with Jalen Brown in the post in a way that we're never comfortable yeah, with Marcus DeMar DeRozan. Smart. Yeah, or even Marcus Smart, right? Yeah, so. um, and, uh, God damn it, I hate it. We're praising the Celtics, man. Yeah, they're great, man. And like Jalen Brown's the truth. He's so sure, good. Sure. Uh, yeah, but I think even truth. like... I think Mike Zavagno from from mm-hmm. Fear the Sword pointed out that like in Game One, after killing the Raptors with Corver pin downs for an entire series, they like didn't run a Corver pin down until like the fourth quarter. And that was the game Corver had seventeen shots. No, it, this is a Game One against Boston. Oh, Game One they, against they Boston. They just like completely right. went away from what had right. worked so well. That's true. So like Cleveland's just getting in their own way a bit. Anyway, whether or not you feel like the Raptors should have won that series, I think there's clear evidence that Cleveland they didn't play is, up to their capability. Yeah, yeah. So you can feel better about why you believed in the Raptors, I think. But you can't... There's no way you're feeling better about how the Raptors played. They just... Yeah, they can't, it can't make you feel anything but worse. Right. I don't think. Uh, Shankar also asked, does the Celtics series clinch LeBron's departure? I think so. If he if he loses in four or five or even six games... Actually, no. If he just loses this before going to the finals, he's dipping. Even if he wins, he's still dipping. But Look. this now, he has a very established... This is why I'm leaving. Look at how ass my teammates are. Look at George Hill and Jordan Clarkson combining for one total assist. Look at Rodney Hood putting up like 0.6 points per possession on plays we just keep running for him for some reason. Look at Rodney Hood being a garbage player and then refusing garbage time. He's Uh, Rodney Hood. Sorry, he is Terrence Ross. I tried to tell people that this man is Terrence Ross. People were like, well, you know, Rodney Hood scored 17 points. I'm like, no, he can't. Yeah, he just can't. Terrence Ross would never refuse to come in a game. Terrence Ross would love it. Yeah. Um, what was I going to say? I don't what know. was the question? Does this, does this Celtic series <laughs> oh, clinch LeBron's departure? I thought LeBron was leaving anyway. The only way LeBron's not leaving is if Dan Gilbert sells the team. Yeah, that's right. To LeBron. Sure. LeBron's going to buy the team and play. That'd be great. Do it. That'd be great. Not great for the Raptors because he's still be in the East. Uh, yeah, go hire Dwayne Casey. Uh, just to spite us? God damn it, LeBron. He's already done so much. He goes out of his way. He's extra about the Raptors. Um, it does it definitely the way the playoffs have gone highlight mm. how much LeBron either really respects or just completely disrespects the Raptors. And I'm not sure which way it goes. Right. He hates the Raptors though. He also hates my own personal income. It's uh it's it's Chris Bosch's girlfriend's fault still. Yeah. I thought yeah. it was rude of him too. And Dwayne Casey's for denying him a championship. Sure. In yeah. Dallas. Yeah. Dude, when he when he said to that uh the question Sirid asked about like Blaine oh yeah, Dwayne, basically. Dwayne Casey's the reason why I'm the player today, all right? And th- that's just so cold, man. Yeah. LeBron dunked on us so many times. I thought it was rude of him as he was leaving the Air Canada Center after Game 2 to, to take my wallet 
on his way and be like, no, you're not getting any income. Mm. That, you're not getting the Eastern Conference <laughs> Finals. You're not getting the Finals. You're not even getting a fifth game back at home. Give me this. Yeah. He's Give me your WordPress login for Raptors Republic. I'm running the site now. Uh, LeBron. That would have been a funny gimmick, actually, if we transitioned over and just covered the Cavs after after LeBron Dude, knocked them out. It's like, yeah. It's depressing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this one, not as depressing. Um, from Killer Pascal, will this new gambling law change the cap in 2019-20? I don't know if it'll be that soon, but it's definitely an extra revenue source. So yeah, the league sure. has talked a lot about I think they call it like an integrity fee or something like that. Which is a hilarious thing to name it. Yeah. It's like, well, actually, if you don't give us this money, we won't be. We won't have yeah. integrity. Basically, the idea is that if the leagues get a small cut of it, it it's like will 1% pre- of every it bet. will prevent them from being susceptible to shady shit. Uh, and I don't know how realistic that is, but no. it's definitely going to be an extra revenue source at some point. And Adam Silver's kind of been at the forefront of like, hey, we should have a federally regulated set of gambling laws so that everyone can do this safely and so we can mm-hmm. get our share of it. Because there's no reason that everyone else should be making billions of dollars off of our game and we don't get a cut. So uh, 2019-2020 is probably too soon for that. I don't think it'll have a meaningful impact during the Raptors, uh, this current core's window. But Eventually, it's going to provide some sort of bump. It's going to be a lot of money, man. It's going to be a lot of money. It's going to be a lot of money. Okay. Um, this I'm already one. like working on algorithms and stuff, trying to try to sharpen up my betting. Please do it, man. Please do <laughs> it, because that's that's where the money in sports is going to be. It already is where the money, like half the money in sports is already is, but it's going to be a lot of money there. Next one from Elvis. Uh, looking at the team succeeding in the playoffs, they are full of two-way players. I feel like yep. our roster is limited by the amount of one-way players, so why not pivot this year to the young core and start building to the future? I don't really know like, necessarily why the second part is yeah, the specific not... answer, but at least to the two-way players. I mean, how many two-way yeah. players do you feel like we have? Yeah, to answer the second part first, the why not is that the Raptors' pivot foot for this core is 2019. Yeah, like Lowry, Ibaka, even DeRozan, maybe JV. They're all hard to trade right now until they're a little later on in their contract. They're hard to trade and get good value. Right, exactly. For like maybe you can. I'm sure we'll talk about this in the coming weeks. I'm sure a lot of these players can be taken for free except for Serge. Yeah, yeah. Serge is the someone asked me in the mailbag the Nene test. Basically, oh, it's like oh, would yeah, yeah. would a team take him on for free, but you don't have to give a sweet. That's called the Masai Ujiri test. He's, yeah. he's done that twice, I think. Yeah. Um, it could be the Kojo test, too. Uh, Would a team on. take him on for free? Uh, yeah. um, so anyway, the, he, the he reason for the Pacers. The reason of why not pivot is that you, you can't really yet. Yeah. Uh, unless you were willing to get back pennies on the dollar for some of these pieces. Uh, in terms of two-way players, yeah. I think you know one reason that the Raptors haven't been able to get a lot of them is that Jakob Pertl is the only high pick that they've had. So they've been picking in spots where, like, Two-way players aren't sitting there at 23 and 27 and mm-hmm. uh, in, in the second round. It's usually one-way players you can develop another skill for, like Pascal. Right. Or OG. And, yeah. yeah, and I mean, OG's offense was a little ahead of where I think most of us expected. Right. Um, but even Norm, like everyone, like I remember going back and reading my draft profile for the score for Norm, and I was yeah. like... He's a scorer. Uh, well, yeah, and I was like, this, this guy can defend at the NBA level. Right. It's just like, he's a role player, and he needs a three-point shot to be to be a consistently usable role player. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think Norm's three-point shot being so up and down has been part of why his overall game has been inconsistent because he, you know, it hurt, hurts him from staying on the floor. But although this year was just a weird Norm year overall. Uh, yeah. 
You know what? Let's let's pretend someone tweeted in about Norm. Um, yeah. What do we make of Norm? Do you feel like I still, it's still believe sound- in him? Me too. This is the thing. I just okay. Look, I think in the context of if you look at Norm's production this year, he came to the year with all these expectations uh, and a lot of non-basketball expectations because he's literally on every billboard, right? And he got the bag. And he got the bag. So, and not only did he get the bag, he also went with. Demar and KC to um, to secure Kyle. Yeah, to sec- exactly right. So he was part of the bag, right? Organizationally and but, like leadership wise, all those mm-hmm. summer workouts with the bench mom and everything. Right. Norm's the guy. Norman's in all those. Yeah. They basically part of why I was in favor of the extension for him. Which looks I think everyone bad was, now. everyone was in favor of that. No yeah. one was like, whoa, hold on, Norm. Yeah. For what's interesting? What's interesting is that. Him and Josh Richardson had very similar careers to that point. Both sure. second-round picks. Both a big impact unexpectedly in their first playoffs. Right. Both noisy advanced stats profiles like mm-hmm. by the all the catch-all metrics. And then they signed the exact same deal. Richardson might make an all-defense team. Right. And was like, is maybe Miami's best all-around player now. Yeah. And then Norm became what Norm became. Part right. of that might be the injury. But, um, but yeah, anyway, so like... He was also, like, a huge leader for them with that young core. And, like, he works the way they want guys to work. And he approaches his business the way they want guys to approach things. So it was, like, kind of like an extension for the entire culture that they were building with that young Mm -hmm. half of the roster. I think – I just think that he was – he just found himself a victim of circumstance, right? Like, he comes into camp. um, He – first off, he has to win a battle between him and C.J. Miles to see who starts. That was very undetermined. It turned out CJ was a really nice fit with the bench. So, okay, so then he's not playing with the guys he's been training with this whole time. Then he goes to play with the starters. Then he tries to get his offense going. It doesn't really quite work because historically there's just never been enough offense to go to a guy who's playing that third spot, especially when you have JV in the way he is. Serge is not a very enthusiastic passer, although he got better towards the end of the year. And then Colin DeMar were Colin DeMar, right? So... Like, he got sort of squeezed out a little bit, then he had that ankle injury, and then OG broke onto the scene, and it was like, hold up, OG makes a lot more sense with the starters. Mm-hmm. Then they try to put him back on the bench, but then the bench had already established the two point guards there with yeah, DeLon. Yeah, he only and ever really fit Fred. with Fred in, and not with DeLon. Exactly. Yeah. It's so, tough, man. I still, like, I think they're going to shop him because someone, they have to get rid of some salary, and I don't think they want to give up picks to get rid of Ibaka. Right. And I think you could find a home for Norm, especially. On draft night, Norm still only counts at his 2017-18 salary for right. salary matching. Mm. So that's a window to, sure. to maybe deal him there. Um, but yeah, I think you know if you want to retain Fred, you have to shed salary somewhere else, and it's probably Norm because I don't I don't like giving up picks to unload a salary. Me neither, man. Especially for a young guy. Yeah, especially for my content, man. There's yeah. a draft coming up. I got nothing to write about. That is true. That is true. Like these draft workouts Yo, were like Costas, Costas and Tedekumpo, and like three guys who aren't ranked in the top 100 that's the only draft workout you've had uh, at least they gave us costas yeah yeah he's, hopefully they take costas here setting setting records for max vertical reach and stuff mm. Mm. interesting yeah. you, it, it, like listen if Masai had a rebound with bruno he's definitely rebound with costas man Masai has a type and it's and it's Giannis. so it makes sense to take his younger brother uh this one from blair um, are there any above? Wait, did we answer the last guy's question appropriately? Oh, two-way guys. Just, yeah, yeah. yes. Ideally, that's the way you want to do it. Of the course. Raptors haven't been in a position. They haven't had meaningful cap space the last two years. They've been yeah. messing with only the mid-levels. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they haven't had high picks. And it's really tough to find two-way players otherwise. So to your point, right. you get guys with a clear 
one wayside, right. and you try to develop them from there. And it's and I think historically they've also tried to develop guys with a clear one way side that's defense, not offense. Yes. And so like you see a little bit skewed right now. I think the other thing is it's it's nice to have these two way players, but. It's these two-way players are secondary pieces, and the actual main guys on the team they haven't necessarily provided enough one way or the other, especially in the playoffs. Yeah. Right? Lowry has sort of done a little bit of both, but he's come up short on offense. Whereas Demar has sometimes come up short on offense and consistently come up short on defense. Yeah. And so you can't expect these two-way players to thrive as much as they do. So I guess that's that's the other thing, right? If you have the stars say, aren't as, say Delon, aren't good enough OG, to do that. Pascal have already developed into their fully formed two-way pieces. Mm-hmm. Well, are those guys still getting the minutes with Kyle and Demar and even Serge there and and yeah. JV and like? I don't know. It's yeah. we, it's weird because like the Raptors have two All Stars, but they very much operate statistically like a depth team, not a star team. Yeah. So that's tough to manage. It's a. Uh, it's actually going to be really interesting to see how someone new comes in approaches the rotations. Yeah, for sure. There's going to be a big. It's going to be awkward. Yeah, because like it's going to be weird to think of breaking up the bench mob given how good they were, mm-hmm. and like assuming there's no there's not a lot of turnover. There might be, but yeah. right now we can only assume that there won't be. True. Um, It'll be interesting to see. All right, last one from Blair then. Um, are there any above average rebounders at the three or four who can keep a defense honest? I feel like the Raptors, a weakness of the Raptors was playing great D and then giving up the rebound. Um, it doesn't count as a turnover, but it hurts us in the in the playoffs. Um, yeah, I mean, I think he's talking more about the Wizards series in that one because I felt like the Raptors yeah. Look, rebounding wasn't strong. Whenever Jakob Pertl was on the floor in the playoffs, the Raptors Ooh. were getting killed on the glass. Yeah. I think they had something. I think they had a sub seventy defensive rebound rate when Pirtle was on the floor in the playoffs, uh, which, which is, is weird to say about a center being on the play on the floor, but yeah, not being um, with the rebound. And it's not even just a Pirtle thing. It, it does speak to Blair's question, where Pirtle has a really high contest rate. Pirtle's contesting right. a lot of shots, even in the high paint area, mm-hmm. and someone's got to come down and pick those up. Right. And Miles isn't a good rebounder. Siakam Siakam actually improved a lot as a defensive rebounder this right. year, but like he still isn't like an. Defense he does love hard. to sniff out transition opportunities, yeah, and which, that's, is, which and that's is a good. tough call because right. like you want that a little bit. And then like Fred and Delon are both like I believe they're they're decent rebounders for the point guard position, right? But they're point guards, yeah. So like really, if you have two point guards cracking back and Pirtle out of position and Siakam leaking out, that's that's a tough way to um, that's a tough way to rebound. And, and the Raptors didn't really have a defensive rebounding problem as long as Valanciunas was on the floor. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's because he's an elite defensive rebounder. So yeah. I think he finished over 30% for defensive rebounds this year, which is very good. Blake. So I don't have an answer. Uh, I don't know. Like, like those guys exist, three fours who can rebound a lot. But right. a lot of defensive rebounding is a lot of scheme stuff, too. Like, Yeah. Um, it depends on where you're contesting the shot. Yeah. And it depends on, you know, what your strategy. Like, you look at... Steven Adams is always an interesting example where he's not a strong defensive rebounder, mm. but you watch OKC games, it's because he's clearing out four bodies so Russ can grab the rebound and run. It's like, And the Raptors actually did a little bit more of that this year. Like Kyle Lowry's spike in defensive rebounding rate yeah. was in part because they wanted to run in semi-transition more. Yeah. So if Lowry true. can grab those rebounds or Big can grab it and get it to Lowry right away, mm-hmm. you get the floor going the other way. And that was also an opportunity to sneak Lowry a little bit more of the ball because yeah. otherwise he wasn't touching the ball nearly as much yeah. as he used to. Also, that's one area that I know everyone talks about DeMar's improvements every year. If he got could get more, and this killed me in the Cavs series, if he could get more aggressive pushing in semi-transition, right. he's very good in those scenarios. Yeah, like he doesn't. He prefers to slow it down a little bit, which I get instinct- instinctually, but 
The Raptors were the Raptors played well fast, including like the starters played fast in the bench mm-hmm. this year, and then they got away from it a lot in the playoffs. And well, I mean, this is the part of the thing with the Raptors, right? Like, if they're star players, in particular, if DeMar DeRozan did more and did it better, then the Raptors wouldn't have nearly as many problems. But in he just kind of consistently doesn't get there, and it's. Or he does get there, but it's not consistently there in the playoffs. I mean, I thought he had some great moments in Washington, some yep. negative moments too in Game Four. But I mean, that's the thing with Demar, right? Like, you just do. You, how much do you believe, and do you believe he can keep improving? And you know, the Raptors' ceiling is sort of defined by what their stars do. And yeah. as of right now, you know, the ceiling is what it is. The and ceiling he's, is. He's the also roof. kind of their stylistic bottleneck because, which yep. is a term I've used for a couple of years now, because. He has to have the ball in his hands a lot. You've, you see what defenses do when he doesn't have it. Yeah. And he could shoot all threes he wants, but until they start dropping, mm. teams are going to treat him like that. And I don't know, but this is the – I feel like if you went back and every podcast we've done at the end of a season in the last couple of years, we pointed out something about DeRozan's game, and he came back and was better at it the next year. Yeah. Maybe that's threes. Maybe that's pushing in semi-transition. I would pay good money if it were defense. Mm. Um, anyway. Demar is probably a worthwhile podcast topic on its own at some point in the offseason. Oh, we'll have lots of time to talk about each individual player because the summertime is, uh, you know, just a vast emptiness. Anyway, Blake, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Obviously, follow Blake and support all of his work yeah. everywhere. Retweet it. Uh, pay for the subscriptions, uh, you know, the places that he writes at. Support the Patreon and just support Blake in general, and you know? And support Will's Patreon, too. Just give us all your money. Support Patreon. Exactly. Support our Patreon. Look, I'm going to write a column every single week of the summertime, okay? It's, I believe that when I see it. I know. I tried doing it this year, and it was tough. But, um, yeah, we can't all be Blake. Anyway, thank you for listening to the podcast. We'll be back next Monday. Thanks, guys. This holiday season, it's all about the bedroom. And Casper's Black Friday sale has up to 30% off everything you need to make your bedroom your happy place. Only Casper mattresses are made with 86 supportive gel pods to align your spine and eliminate aches and pains. And Casper bed frames are made from the highest quality materials. Give the gift of a better bedroom. Save up to 30% during Casper's Black Friday sale on now at Casper.com. Terms and conditions apply. See Casper.com slash terms for more details. The Medicare annual election period deadline is coming soon. I'm Meredith Vieira, here with examples of people who found the key to the right coverage at MyHealthPolicy.com. Meet Larry. He likes doing things online. I took my time and found the best Medicare Advantage plan for me at MyHealthPolicy.com. Next is Mary. When she wanted answers, she picked up the phone. I wanted a local perspective on plan, so I called MyHealthPolicy.com. And finally, Michael. I prefer face-to-face, so I chose MyHealthPolicy.com and enrolled on the spot. Go to MyHealthPolicy.com to learn about top-rated Medicare Advantage plans in your area, including $0 premium plans, or call 1-800-GO-START. That's 1-800-GO-START. MyHealthPolicy.com. Meredith Vieira is a paid endorser. KF Agency operates MyHealthPolicy.com, not connected with or endorsed by the U.S. government or the federal Medicare program. A licensed insurance agent may call.